King's Kids up here with me. King's Kids up here. Happy Father's Day. King's Kids. We got... Okay, whatever. All right, let's see what we got here. We got little prizes, little presents to hand out to all the dads, okay? Now, you don't know who a dad is. You know who your dads are. That's one thing. And your grandpas. So we want to give these grandpas but just men, all right? That way we don't miss anybody. Take the whole stack. There you go. Hold on. Don't, don't leave yet. We're going to all leave at once. So you're going to pass these out to as many dads as you can find. You don't need to ask. Wait, wait. Don't leave yet. He's eager. You can. If your dad is here, you can start with your dad. That'll be good. Where? Oh, I see him. I see him. Here. Get up. There's a pen. Uh-oh. That one came apart. You better give me that broken one. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. You guys are so excited. Do you think that's... If you run out, if there are too many dads here, then you come back for another one. Ready? Say, go. Spread out. Dad Patrol. And if dad, if your pen breaks like mine, then I'll give you a replacement for that one. We just want to give you a little token of uh, Happy Father's Day appreciation. Hey, there's a dad. There's another one back there. Do we need more? Here's some more pins. Come. You might need to help. This side, this side needs some help over here. I think they're missing. Go check. Go double check. Make sure all the dad. All right. Do you need more? Yeah. All right. Go to a different section. Are there any dads we've missed? We've got, we've got dad in the hall. Oh, yeah. Carter? Yeah, go, see that guy by the door? Tell him Happy Father's Day. And then Lincoln, is your dad down the hall too? All right. You go ahead and give him one, then go to King's Kids. All right, bring me the extras. Wait, what about, what about this guy standing? All right, he got Good job. Good job. Do you need to take one home? Is there any dads that aren't here that we need? You're good? You're good? You're good? All right. All right. Yeah. I will take one home. Okay, that's fine. That's good. You want to take one home too? Everybody just, yeah. All right, you're dismissed, King's Kids. You can go to King's Kids. You might want to drop your pen off with your mom, so. I will never hand out scissors. No Father's Day scissors or utility knives in our future. Well, happy Father's Day. Glad you made it. <clears throat> Let's see what we got here. Um, forgot who my readers were. You're the backup reading. Oh, yeah, you. Come on. Come on. It's a family. I I'm getting this family vibe going. Yeah, I'm liking it. Liking it a lot. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12 this morning. Proverbs 12. Oh, you have an outline. Nice. Which one are we following? Bottom one? Or are you just going to stand here and look pretty? You just be like, yeah, all right. All right, so follow along. Proverbs chapter 12. Basically, wherever he stops, you have to pick up the rest and pray he doesn't just read one verse. Right? And you That's got the rest. Yeah, it's so <laughs> tempting, I know. So Proverbs chapter 12, are you there? Are you ready? Follow along in your Bible as Kirsten reads. <clears throat> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, 
but the Lord condemns a crafty man. A man cannot be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like, the de is like decay in his bones. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. Wicked men are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. A man is praised according to his wisdom, but men with warped minds are despised. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. righteous man cares for the needs of his animal, and the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. The wicked desire the, wicked desire the plunder of evil men, but the root of the righteous flourishes. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things. As surely as the works of his hands re rewards him. The way of a fool seems right with him, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. A truthful witness gives an honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 19. <laughs> okay. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. There is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy man does not... Roasts his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. In the way of the righteous, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Amen. So Proverbs 12, I'm calling this chapter Words of Life. Words of Life. <clears throat> Listen to some of the positive words that... Uh, that are in my translation. You heard some of them just now. Listen to these positive words in this chapter. Discipline, favor, never moved, just, delivers, will stand, good sense, lowly, plenty, bears fruit, escapes trouble, satisfied, listens, ignores an insult, honest, brings healing, truthful, joy, delight, glad, guide, precious wealth, and life. Do these words characterize your life? Do these words characterize your kids? Do these words characterize 
your walk with God. And that's what Proverbs 12 is about. Trying to, trying to inject these words of life into your life. Now, if you're not married, you don't have a job, you're not rich, you might think these don't all apply to you. They do. Because these are not circumstantial, these are not all circumstantial wisdom nuggets. They're not just aimed at correcting outward things. These are, these are life lessons to be taken to heart, to absorb, to be meditated upon, and then to put into everyday life and action. Heart first, hands second. Proverbs chapter 12. If you have your bulletin, we're going to fill in some outlines there. I'm going I'm to read through several, make a couple comments, and then we'll slow down a little bit when we get to what I call the heart, uh, 13 through 23. There's a big section in the middle that has a common theme. We're going to focus on that a lot today. But Proverbs 12, verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, and he who hates reproof is stupid, my translation says, uh, ignorant, without sense, stupid. And that's really going to reflect again. It's coming up again in verse 15. Uh, the f- way of the fool seems right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So it's going to be repeated later. Verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord. That's what we want. A man of evil devices, God condemns. Verse 3, no one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved or they will never be uprooted. If we have roots, then we are what? A tree. There we go. And to the side there, you might also write Psalm 1. See Psalm 1. The righteous is like a tree planted by streams of living water. He's sinking his roots deep into who God is and what God says, God himself, and then slowly, steadily, progressively growing, producing leaves and branches for shade, but also fruit for the benefit of other people, for the benefit of their neighbors. Like that, that is a huge theme, being righteous and growing in it so that other people benefit from the shade and the fruit of your living with God. Yeah, I like that. Verse four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Very fascinating verse. Uh, That word that is translated as excellent here is not very often translated as excellent. Uh, The word is over 80 times that word excellent is translated as army. Valiant and wealth. So speaking of this woman, she is a mighty woman of valor. It is the same phrase used of David's mighty men of valor. Somebody who has character 
integrity and faithfulness. What made those men mighty men of valor? Was it just they woke up one day or, or they did a lot of training? Like, no, it's the fact that over the course of their lives, they stuck with David as David followed God. It, it really has a deep worth and integrity and character meaning tied to it. So what is an excellent wife? Uh, someone who excels in wisdom, has personal inner strength and fortitude and worth. Oh, by the way, she didn't get that after she was married. That's, those are character traits you need to be looking for in other people. Strength, integrity, character, loving the Lord your God to the point that whoever you marry can be a mighty man or woman of valor. Like, ooh, that's what you look for. It's not what you become. You look for, it does grow, remember? It grows, but I, that's a really good verse. Interesting. And then Proverbs 31 is basically going to flesh that out. Give us all the deets. What does that mean? We'll get there. Well, maybe we'll get there. I don't know yet. This is, that's a long ways away. That's 19 chapters away, you realize? Which would be, what, 19 weeks? Like, we're never going to get there. Let's go to verse 5. Let's just be happy getting through chapter 12. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. First thing that popped into my mind was politics. So I wrote, character is greater than platform and politics. Somebody can preach all day that they believe like you, that they'll be your representative, that they're going to stand on this platform and fight for this and fight for this. But at the end of the day, who they are matters. Lying, cheating, backbiting, money hungry, adulterous. I'm setting you free right now. There are always more than two votes, two options. You can abstain. When there is no good option, you don't have to vote. It's okay. When character is lacking and there are no good options, wait patiently. When somebody with character does rise up, make sure you vote. It's good. Solomon. He's the king, so nobody's voting for him. He's like, yeah, I'm in. But his character is going to go downhill and his kingdom is going to crash. Character always matters more than what you promote. Verse 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Uh, that word lies in ways ambush. <laughs> the words of the wicked are an ambush. Always looking to pounce and take advantage of people. But the, the upright are always looking to deliver and help people. What a, what a contrast. Verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Uh, because, why is that true? Because nothing of wickedness is actually going to last. We know God is in charge and He will always win. And the house of the righteous will stand. Let me remind you that Solomon has a personal promise from God that if his household will stay right with God, his household will never perish. You don't have that promise. So this verse has got two different levels to it. One, the absolute practical level of 
Solomon and his family line, he's the son of David, right? He has specific promises. If we will love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, if we will follow him, our family line will never go away. That is a practical, real promise. But in a general observation, is it still true? Yes. Will the wicked eventually be overthrown? Yes. Their memory will fade? Yes. Will the house or the family of the righteous stand forever? Yes. Etern there's an eternal element to this. But there's only one family that lasts forever. And it's God's family. Which is what ties our side of this proverb to Solomon's side. Because it wasn't just about being an Israelite. It was about having the heart and the faith of David and the heart and the faith of Abraham. See how it ties together? Like there, there's an eternal element to this. Verse 8, a man is commended according to his good sense. But one of twisted mind is despised. And the biblical example I thought of comes out of 1 Samuel 25. Abigail is commended by David as having good sense. Then her husband Nabal is shown to have a corrupt, wayward, selfish twisted mind that's not far from Solomon's family history verse 9 better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread which shows that humility is greater than pride humility is greater than pride don't play the great man be willing to be lowly Verse 10, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. But the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Oh. How do they treat their, you could put any animal there, dog, cat, horse, oxen, camels, donkeys. I've heard... Uh, Farmers and cowboys kind of say that before, or ranchers. If you want to know a man, look at how he treats his horse. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Does he take care of it? Does he treat it with respect? At the end of the day, does he just dismount, throw it in the barn? Or does he dismount, water it, feed it, brush it, blanket it, put it, make sure it has hay for the night, placed, and then go into the house and take care of himself? And righteousness is a, and the, the way of wisdom, the way of God. It doesn't, it doesn't look godly when we take care of ourselves, even before we take care of our stuff. Right? If you want to know something, watch. See how people act in all of their lives. Verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Back to the idea. Solomon and the people of Israel have a specific promise from God that if they will work the land the way God has said to, that land will always be abundant. They have a definite promise that they will work the land according to God's old covenant standards. They're under the law. If they will work the land by faith under his leadership they'll always have plenty 
If you're an Israelite and you just, you, you wander off, you go to another country and you try to do something else, it's going to fail. You're God's people in God's land. If you do things God's way, you'll never be in need. That's their promise. What's the eternal or the broader promise for us? It tends to work out that when you work, you have enough to eat. When you go to work and you show up and you're faithful, God takes care of you. That's just a general observation. Instead of following worthless pursuits, uh, and that word worthless means lacking in discrimination and lacking in energy too. Not only do you not think clearly, you're jumping after get rich quick, but then you're not even jumping in it with all of your heart. Uh, so again, there's something there about the fool or the wicked that are, that are grasping after things outside of what God has put right in front of them, what is right in part of their family already, the job they already have. It's interesting. Verse 12. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. There's that root again. There's that, that tree analogy again. The wicked are always looking at what other people have, spoil. What do the righteous do? They sink their roots down deep. You don't usually see roots grow. Now, if they come up and destroy your sidewalk, yeah, you're seeing the roots grow. Or, you know, you're in kindergarten class and the teacher plants a little bean and a bag. And it's, it's, a, it's surprising. That's why you do that. It's surprising to see how fast the roots come out and grow. Have you ever done that? Has anybody ever put a bean in a baggie with a wet paper towel and you've seen the roots grow? Like, the roots come first and then you got this funky stem starts coming out of uh, the peanut or the bean. You're like, what is that? Like, it look, you, you, you don't know what kind of, you've come in late. You don't know what kind of bean or plant is growing. It's, but you know the roots. They're fine and they're, they're going all over the place. The root, and they grow fast. And they just fill up whatever space they are in. And you don't always see it. There needs to be a part of your spiritual life that is growing behind the scenes. When you are alone with God, when you are praying with God, when you are crying with God and you are sinking your, your roots deep into who He says He is, tuning out all the other voices, you don't need other people telling you everything. There's a place for that. But more than anything, you need to let God tell you some things. Reading this word is sinking your roots deep. Memorizing the Bible is sinking your roots deep. It's grabbing onto something that is going to outlive you, that is older than you, that knows more than you, that is eternal. And when you wrap your roots, the heart strings of your life around who God is, you will bear fruit. Because it's not about you anymore. It's about what you're pulling sustenance and energy and life from. Bring forth your own fruit. How do I do it? Slowly, steadily, 
Slow and steady wins the race. Write that down. Slow and steady. How do I bring forth my own fruit? Slow. You do it slowly, steadily, faithfully. And then we enter into a really neat section. Um, Verses 13 through 23. Uh, Write this down. The next blank is God cares about your words. All of them. I'm going to read 13 through 23 and I want you to listen for for the words. Lips, mouth, advice, speaks, speaking, language, tongue. I want you to listen for that and, and see how this ties together. Verses 13 through 23. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. But the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of the righteous man's mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He listens to what somebody else is speaking. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Verse 20, right there in the middle, middle of all this talk about lips and language, Verse 20 reminds us, this is a heart issue. Deceit, lying, wickedness that comes, if, if it comes out of the mouth, it came out of the heart. This is a heart issue, not just a verbal issue. This is not just about, well, if I will just stop cussing, if I will just stop insulting people, then God will be happy with me. No, that's not how it works. We're not here, we're not here trying to work our way up in righteousness to please God. It's not how it works. God wants your heart. He wants you to stop thinking evil things. He wants you to stop hating people. He wants you to stop disparaging people. Because even if you never say it, if you think it, you're rotten to the core. You're not just righteous if you guard your lips and you say the right things. You can still be wicked and unrighteous. And eventually it will probably vomit out your mouth and a moment of weakness and a moment of anger and wrath. That's what what all of us end up doing. So this is a heart issue. Evil and deceit flows out of an evil and selfish heart. But the end of verse 20, here's the contrast. Those who plan for peace have joy. That, that's a unique way to say that. Those who plan, what does it mean to plan for something? 
think about it, maybe write it down, have, a, have an outline, know which way you're going, make plans, think ahead. Plan for peace. And in context with all the other verses about what the righteous do and bearing fruit and helping others, it's not just planning your own peace. You're looking out for others. When you plan peace for others, the Bible says the next, the next word, you're, then you have the joy. I just don't have enough joy. How much effort are you putting towards being peaceful and helping other people? But I need to have peace. That's the irony. The most joy you're ever going to have is going to be an overflow of the peace and joy you bring to other people. And that, that, that's on purpose. You are meant to connect with other people. Even in your singleness, even in your youth, you're meant to connect with other people. Heart issue. Heart issue. So the flow of logic here is that uh, it's capturing how differently the righteous and the wicked treat all of the people around them. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. They're deceiving other people. And so those who plan peace are planning peace for other people and it ends up bringing them joy. Instead of just going after what they want and trying to get it, they're helping others and then they get the very thing that the wicked want, but the wicked can't get. Because when you try to get it on your own, it ends up being evil. But when you give it away, it comes back to you. That's the beauty of it. That's what Solomon is trying to teach you. The harder you chase after something, the less likely you are to get it. But the harder you help other people chase after the thing you want, that's humility. That's humbleness. That's loving your neighbor. And then it fills you with joy. Like, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Next blank, God gives believers joy that never fades. Joy that never fades because it's not rooted in themselves and what they have. It's rooted in God, what God gives. And it's really awesome if God gives it through other people. We've talked about roots hard to uproot a big tree right what about four or five trees when the roots are all tangled up maybe not maybe I shouldn't use the word tangled let's let's be more sophisticated what's it like to uproot plants that have integrated and fellowshiped their roots even a young plant when it gets into a bigger system of growth and faithfulness and steadiness, it becomes unshakable. Like, there's power in that. You want a deeper joy, then you need to have a spiritual life that includes other people. That's what church is for. All this, this section about the fruit of the mouth, the work of your hands, You can look right in your own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Verse 16, the vexation or the frustration of a fool. Like it's on, he wears his heart on his sleeve. It's known to everybody at once, but a prudent, a wise man, when he's offended, he ignores the insult. He keeps it in. He doesn't let everything ruffle his feathers. Why? 
It's that idea of planning peace, thinking of peace, being peaceful towards others in the end of verse 20. That's where that joy comes from. You're spreading yourself out over other people's lives so you can rejoice with those who rejoice even if you're weeping with those who weep. You don't just have this singular lifestyle where you're just plunging up and down. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But, but you're living on a, a bigger plane that is rising and falling and balancing out with all the other people in your lives. You see what Solomon is trying to teach his son? Help people, care for people. All this wealth I've accumulated, the peace that our kingdom has. Help, be generous, be kind. Don't grasp for more. We have enough. Grow up. And if you will do that, I think verses 20 and 21 are side by side for a reason. If you will do that, you plan for peace, you will have joy. Verse 21, no ill befalls the righteous. Remember the specific old covenant promise to Solomon and his family. Live this way and I will reward you. We don't have that promise. We can't take the book of Proverbs, do all these things and then say, where's my land? Where's my comfort? Where's my protection? You said you would deliver me from all evil. God made that specific promise to Solomon and his family. So we have to step back and pull ourselves back. How, what is the eternal principle here? that applies to me. And I tie together verses 20 and 21. Those who plan peace have joy and no ill befalls the righteous forever. The wicked are filled with trouble. See the end of verse 21? Filled with trouble. Will you have trouble piled onto your life from other people? Oh yeah. Will you have some troubles pile onto your life with cancer, with Alzheimer's? Will you have medical things pile onto your life? Yeah, absolutely. Are they going to last forever, Roy? No ill befalls the righteous forever. It won't last. The Apostle Paul goes deep on this one and calls your worst pains in this life, your worst sufferings in this life, your worst pain right now, a momentary and light affliction. Chew on that. No matter how bad it is, no matter how much of your life it is swallowing up right this second, the emotional pain, the relationship pain, how you were raised, what you've gone through, how you've been abused, it is a monster. Not to Jesus. He's going to just wipe that tear away. It won't last forever. So be faithful right where you are. Keep praying, keep trusting. Whatever you've been through, God knows that. He cares about you. He has a future and a hope for you that goes beyond any ills that you might get dusted with in this life. Solomon knows that. 
He's encouraging his kids, whatever happens. So Proverbs 12, 21. No ill befalls the righteous. Uh, That was true for Joseph. That was true for the Apostle Paul. And that was true for Jesus. I think it's going to be true for you too. What do you mean? How could that be? No ill befell Joseph. If you were to ask Joseph, have any ills or evils fallen upon you? They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Remember that line? What everybody else calls evil, Joseph doesn't even call evil. And it happened to him. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. That is his way of saying it was good because God was in it. Paul does the same thing. Shipwrecks, beatings stoned, left for dead, threatened with murder and actually murdered. God brought him back to life. That was a miracle. Paul says, Paul's been through more than you've been through. Paul's been abandoned more than you've been abandoned. He's been betrayed more than you've been betrayed. He suffered more physical harm than you have suffered physical harm. And Paul would say, that's true. No ills have befallen me. I count it all as rubbish. Even my good things I count as rubbish. What do you think of all the other things? Useless. And then Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the humiliation of the cross. took everything this world threw at him for the eternal joy he saw coming and the crucifixion is good. We still call it Good Friday. It's not good that the world rejected Jesus, but it's good that he stepped in your place on the cross and took the wrath of God That's what's good. The worst thing the world could ever do, Jesus turned it into the best thing God has ever done. Redeeming fallen humanity. So we gotta be careful what we call ills and suffering and pain. And we have to be careful how big we let it get in our hearts and minds. It's not gonna befall you forever. Keep praying, keep loving, keep giving, Keep serving. And that's why I like this section the most. 13 through 23. Plan for peace. Experience eternal joy. No ill will befall the righteous forever. The wicked are filled with trouble. Press on. Be faithful. The end of... Look at verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. God delights in people who act and live faithfully. Faithful to who? Faithful to him. Faithful to him. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, let's round this out here. Verse 20, verse 23 
A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. There is a time to shut your mouth, conceal. There's a time to conceal things. Fools speak endlessly. Like you have all this, wait, wait a minute. I thought it was the fruit of his mouth. He said, uh, a good man says good things. It just had all this emphasis on speaking good, saying the right thing. And then here, this is very Proverbs. Then he has this verse. It's also good to be silent sometimes. Okay, you told me to talk and say the right thing. Now you're telling me to be quiet. God, will you make up your mind? Nope. You're going to have to walk by faith. Pray through every situation. Some situations, God wants you to speak. Some situation, God wants you to conceal a thing. How do I know the difference? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. Wait, or better yet, let's pray together about that. Tell me about your situation. What interactions have you had with that person before? What have you already said? What have you not said? Tell me what your relationship is like. Tell me about, tell me about, let's talk, let's pray about it. Have you asked any of your other family members about that? Is there anything the Bible says about that specific situation? Exploring, exploring, sending our roots into every nook and cranny of person and fellowship and God's word and then bringing forth, yeah, I need to speak up or nah, I can conceal that matter. That's the Bible for you. It's not a contradiction. It's discernment. Sometimes you speak up the truth and sometimes you zip it. You don't need to have, you don't have to say something about everything. There is a time to conceal. Verse 20, 20 what was that? 20, 23, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but good, a good word makes him glad. Where do good words come from? I put them in this order. God, family, church. Good words. Good words that make you glad, that fill you with happiness that fill you with joy that fill you with purpose you need to know what God says about you and your life good words from your family man that is so encouraging that's what families are for it's not just all about discipline it's about encouragement and guidance and strengthening good words not just pointing out the negative but encouraging the good pressing the good casting a vision for what is good. And then church, what should a church do? A church should point you back to the other two, your spiritual family as well, and what God's word says. And it creates this loop of good things in your life. Anxiety weighs us down. Is that true? You better believe it. What lifts us up? Hope in God. Help from family, fellowship with our church family. It can lighten the load because it doesn't take things away. God doesn't always take away things. But Jesus says, cast your burden, your cares on me. 
We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. It's, it's not about removing burdens. It's about sharing burdens. Verse 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. This is echoes of chapter 11, verse 30, where bearing fruit helps others. Bearing fruit helps others. Helps your neighbor. Gives you discernment on choosing who you're going to be draw close to. Uh, more than any other verse, this past this verse in verse 26 has the most variety of translations and different versions out there. But the point is uh, being righteous, careful with your neighbor, careful with your relationships, so that you are not led astray as you try to help other people. Now, the wicked, they're just led astray by everybody because all they do is follow the wicked people who are grasping after like like things. In verse 27, 28. Whoever is slothful will not even roast his game. So he's caught or killed something. Now it's going to rot. What a waste. Cook it. Now he's too lazy. The diligent man will get precious wealth, precious treasures, precious things. Why? Because the things that God has given him, he's at least roasting them and putting them to use. He's not neglecting the things that God has already blessed him with. The diligent take advantage of what they have. And the path of the righteous is life. And its pathway, in its pathway, there is no death. So final word, embracing wisdom, which is embracing God. Embracing wisdom leads to the godly life. Embracing wisdom leads to the godly life. Stand with me. Let's pray. Embracing wisdom on Father's Day. Whoo! We need some wisdom, guys. We need the humility to say we don't know everything. We need the humility to say, I can't help you with that. We need the boundaries to say, I shouldn't help you with that. We need the space to say, I can't help you with that. I struggle with that. We need to be vulnerable enough to help each other when we can and speak the truth to each other. We need to learn to fellowship. We need to learn to conceal. We need to learn to speak. We need to learn to rebuke. We need to learn to live out Proverbs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book and we pray that you would teach us to guard our hearts so that we can guard our words so that we can send our roots deep into you and your character and who you are. As we struggle with day-to-day life, as we struggle to think straight sometimes, as we struggle with our anger, with our actions, with our bad habits, God, we pray that you would change our hearts so that we wouldn't become self-righteous by controlling outward things. Change our hearts that we would learn to love you more and care about the things that matter the most. Help us to be a people who gravitate towards you and our church family. On this Father's Day, we thank you for our dads, for the, th- for the good things we've learned from them and from the, from the mistakes that they've made. 
We pray, God, that you would make us a better generation and a better example to all the young men and women around us. That you would help all of us to take on the responsibility of of nurturing and caring for everybody that you've put into our lives. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. forget to sign up to help with welcome table on the way out and if you don't have a teen to pray for this week while we're at camp I'll be at the back door handing out prayer cards for individual teens the benediction for today is from Psalm 51 it's verses 15 through 17 O Lord open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God bless you all. You are dismissed.